This is Open to Hope Radio, featuring Dr. Gloria Horsley and her daughter, Dr. Heidi Horsley, coming to you on behalf of the Open to Hope Foundation, dedicated to those who are looking for hope after loss. Welcome to the Open to Hope Show in partnership with the Compassionate Friends. I'm your host, Dr. Heidi Horsley, and I'm here today with Heather Stang. She is going to be our guest, and today we're going to talk about calming your mind and restoring your spirit time. Heather Stang is the author of Mindfulness and Grief and a, and a contributor to techniques of grief therapy, assessment, and interventions. Her inspiration for helping others stems from her uncle's death by suicide and her stepfather's sudden death following a surgical procedure. She offers free guided meditations at mindfulnessandgrief.com. And I met Heather at ADAC. Welcome to the show, Heather. Thank you for having me, Heidi. It's great to have you here. So Heather and I do, we our worlds collide a lot, we were saying before the show. Heather um, is very involved with ADAC, the Association for Death Educators and Counselors. And I saw, Heather, that you will be presenting a workshop on mindfulness and grief, self-compassion and self-care in, in April. Is that right? That is correct. I love it. I love yes. that topic. And we'll be talking a little bit about that today. And I know that you also present at TAPS, and we're both on the advisory board at TAPS. And for those of you out there who've never heard of it, it's the Tragedy Assistance Program for Survivors of Military Loss. They are an amazing organization that help military families. So Heather's also involved with them, right, Heather? That is correct. Those are my probably my two home bases are ADEC, ADEC and TAPS. I love it, and I know that you did three. You did you presented quite a few times last year at TAPS. I saw. Yes, I did, and I hope I get to this year too. I want to maybe bring a different type of yoga to TAPS. That's um, I'm going to propose this to them, so maybe it's not fair putting it out there, but maybe it'll segue into our conversation. But there's so many types of yoga. And the type that, that I practice is really an inside-out kind of yoga. It's not about a, achieving a pose, but it's really about expressing your feelings and doing self-inquiry and how is my body responding to grief and loss uh, and really being able to make meaning, you know, which we know meaning-making is a big part of, of working through our difficult feelings. Absolutely. Yeah. And the one thing that I love that you said, Heather, and I think it's really important for people I read that you said you don't need to have ever done yoga or meditation to benefit from your from reading your books. That's correct. I think that's so I important. I mean, most people, mm -hmm, and most people who come to my meditation center, in fact, have never practiced meditation, much less yoga. So I'm very comfortable with introducing people to these concepts. I mean, after all, there was a point in my life where I wasn't doing yoga and I wasn't meditating, and that was so far from my, you know, reality. And now it's really changed my life. So I've been there. I've been in that place of, well, of suffering. I was gonna, I was gonna ask you about your place of suffering. So how did you initially get into this field? I see that you've had loss. You've had some very significant losses in your life. Is that what brought you yeah. in the field? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, really. I guess the journey started when I was seven, and mm -hmm. uh, you know, you don't know where you're gonna wind up, right? Um, but my mother had to let me know that her brother had died by suicide, which I'm sure was, well, I know was devastating for her. We talk about it still today. Like, she did a great, 
great job giving her seven-year-old daughter um, a supportive death notification in, in the midst of her own pain. Wow. And without knowing anything about the right way to do it, she just did it from her heart, mm-hmm. you know, and told me what I needed to know, um, let me know I was loved. She let me know she was hurting too, but that I could talk to her, which I think was great. Um, so that was a very sad period in my family's life. And what I didn't really know, or I knew at that time, but I hadn't really experienced it on a cognitive level, is my father's brother had died about uh, four and a half or so years before that. So at that point in time, both of my parents had experienced sibling loss. My father's brother died from uh, a, a brain tumor that was related to a childhood fever. So that was like a long-term, you know, struggle. And then uh, Uncle Doug died from, of course, suicide. And, and when, so, you were, when you were seven, did your mom tell you that he died by suicide? She did. That's, uh, that's, she told that's me. wonderful and, I, and amazing <laughs> that she was able to tell you in a way that a seven-year-old could kind of understand that. Right. And and in a moment where she herself couldn't really understand it. You know what I mean? Like yes. she understood it, but it it was devastating to her and and she really she was honest and I think she did a good job of being honest without giving me more than what I could handle then. Um and over the years of course I've gotten to know more. Um actually at one point I knew more than she did because as a as as an adolescent, actually, probably when I was about twelve or thirteen, my curiosity about my uncle became so overwhelming that I broke into my grandparents' files mm-hmm. and looked up the police report and found out things about that death that my mother hadn't even known because her mother had not disclosed it, like that there was cocaine present on the gun and and I mentioned that offhand to my mother one day, and she she had no idea. This was before I was a, a sanitologist, by the way. I, I probably now would have kind of been like, hey, do you know about this but at the time? you know. So there were things she didn't even know that I found out before her, which is kind of strange. Well, the reason that I like that she told you as a 7-year-old in an age-appropriate way is because when we don't tell children what happened, they tend to fill in the blanks with really horrific stuff that they've made up, and it can be very frightening. So it sounds like she told you in in an age-appropriate way, in a way that you could hear it that didn't terrify you. And then, like you said, as you got older, you you were ready to hear the details. Right. And she did it in a way that let me know I could come to her with questions if I had them, Mm -hmm. which I think was really important. To create that safety, like, okay, as I, as I would work it out, you know. Um, and I'm sure I asked her some very interesting questions that, that we no longer remember. But, but that's really what led me into this field was that one experience uh, later when I had found yoga and meditation and those had become part of my life and I wanted to do something to give back to the world, I became a uh, hotline call specialist on our local suicide prevention hotline and did that for about, I think, seven years, including uh, participating in a research project. And I went down and worked on the New Orleans hotline 
right after Katrina because all of the workers there, of course, were were displaced or missing. And it was around that time that I met someone at my own hotline who had gone through Hood College's thanatology program. And that's that's why I'm here today. So what are, I mean, there's a lot of people that are listening today that are early on in their grief, and they're in a pretty bad place right now, and they some of them may even be having a hard time getting out of the house. Mm-hmm. And what kind of things that can you tell them, tips and tools that they can do at home in order to kind of shift their energy and maybe start to feel a tiny bit better? One of the first places I start is with the body, because the body doesn't have to know why things work. It just has to have the tools to help it work, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And so the first thing I do when I'm working with people who are really early in grief is to start with the breath. I mean, that, even though it's so simple, just by consciously breathing, by actually taking a breath, you can help your body switch off the stress response that comes with grief, that fight, flight, freeze response. And when you can switch that off, you can make some space for your mind to calm down. So when you say breathing, it sounds like breathing, instead of breathing in a shallow way, breathing through the body, through the whole body? So there's a few ways of approaching it. Okay. One, it could just be turning attention to breath. You don't even need to change the breath. Oh, this is interesting. Because it takes the mind off of rumination. Okay. It gives the mind a place to go. Mm Mm-hmm. And if breath at this point seems too hard to grasp, maybe your breath is just so shallow that you're like, I'm looking for my breath, but I can barely see it or I can barely feel it. Simple techniques like counting. One, one technique we use is we start with the number 10 mm-hmm. and have people pair the numbers alongside their breath. So each time you exhale, you count and you count down from 10. 10, 9, 8, down to 1, and then you go back up again, and back down again, and up again. And you don't have to do fancy breathing with this. But that gives you something to link with your breath. I like this. And you know what else I like about this, Heather, it brings up for me, is oftentimes after we've had a death, we can't sleep. Right. And I'm thinking doing this, it reminds me. So does it help? people try, that are trying to fall asleep and struggling with that? Absolutely. And there is an extended version of that that I will tell you about. Uh, and this meditation is is available free on Mindfulness and Grief, and people use it all the time. And, and, that, like, and that's your website, right? Wow. Mindfulness and yes, Grief? Yes, mindfulnessandgrief.com. And there's a whole section of guided meditations, and you want to look for relaxation for anxiety, grief, and stress. Mm, I love this. And it's, it's a guided meditation. It's got some music that's designed to help you sleep. In this one, I, I combine both counting, and I think I start with a number way up high and have you count down, and then you drop the number. And then you're invited to create a personal mantra, which could be just a word like sleep or relax or peace, or you could even stay with the number. And you just do this for a long period of time. And the key here is to know that as a human being with a brain, you're going to wander off. You're, you're going to forget your number. You're going to get distracted. 
But just to start again, and start again as often as you need to, and you will find you will go to sleep a lot quicker. And the reason why is this practice kicks in something called the relaxation response. Mm -hmm. And the relaxation response is the physiologic opposite of the stress response. So everything that happens to your body when you're stressed out, which is usually where you are when you can't sleep, gets switched off. Okay. And all the good things that happen in your body when you're relaxed get turned on. And this technique has been proven to work with anxiety, mild to moderate depression, insomnia, nausea, which is one we don't always think about with grief, but uh, I, I know in my grief experiences, feeling nauseous has certainly come up. And it's something that people don't talk about, the physical the physical ramifications of grief, because it is a physical experience as well as an emotional experience. It really is, and I always feel like that's the place we can all start, because, you know, working through your experience of loss and, and recreating meaning, this is a process. You mm -hmm. know, it takes experience, you know, different life experiences and conversations and you know, I don't. I cringe at saying the word time, as you know from our from our colleague, Dr. Niemeyer. It's not time that heals; it's what we do with the time. And I feel that these meditation practices are something we can do with the time that can get us at least to a place uh, where our physio or physiology comes more into balance. Sure. And I've I've had people that I've worked with, you know, for long term, maybe a few years or four years later who will tell me, you know, I'm healthier now than I was when my husband died. Mm -hmm. uh, um, I feel better physically now, and it's a lot harder to work through emotional stuff when you physically feel awful. So, so Heather, I know that after a death, and I know certainly after my brother died, what happened to me was where I would get stuck is I would either like relive the past and say, I should have done this, I could have done this, I would have done this, or I would stress out about the future and, and how was I going to go on the rest of my life without him here? How would right. I do it? I grieved the future that I was never going to have. And I know that you talk a lot about mindfulness and being mindful and living kind of in the present. If people are doing right now, how do you get to that place? I mean, what can people do so that they can live more mindfully when they're grieving? I call that time traveling, mm -hmm. and we, we do it whether we're grieving or not. I think we do it more in extreme when we are grieving. And that very technique I just gave you, the working with the breath, working with the counting or the mantra, that's a good first step to coming into the present because when you're paying attention to your breath, you're paying attention to the breath of this moment. It's not the breath of yesterday, and it's not the breath of the future. Mm -hmm. It's the breath now. And then we can widen that out with practice. I feel like once you have kind of mastered or at least practiced that present moment focusing on, you know, something repetitive, then you can learn how to widen your awareness through all of your senses so that you feel your body in the present moment. I like that. You can see what you're seeing in front of you right now. And that's mindfulness. Mindfulness is connecting to the present moment through your senses and without struggling against what's happening. So there's 
kind of an acceptance that the present is where I am. I this like is what's that. happening now. Okay, and I know that you have you've got so many things. It's exciting to look at all your <laughs> stuff. Please go to Heather's website, mindfulnessandgrief.com, because there is a ton of information for everybody out there that is grieving right now. And I know that you've designed an eight-week program, a yoga for grief course, and, and you have a lot of really cool components. Talk a little bit about the journaling and what people can do and why that helps, you know, what they can do. The journaling can help you on so many levels. On one level, it can help you put down on paper and see for yourself what you're really feeling. Journaling is not about creative writing or fiction. It's about just taking stock of what's happening in the present moment. That's how I like to teach journaling. Um, And you can also write. So that's one way is is using journaling as present moment awareness, using journaling as mindfulness. So you just Uh, just take out a pad of paper and just start writing what's going on for you? Is that how you would people get started? The way I like to teach it is first we do a little bit of meditation and body movement because I think I know as a writer that taking out a pad of paper Mm -hmm. and staring at it is intimidating. You know, where do you start? And so in my book and on my website, I have journaling prompts, and you can Google grief journaling prompts. Those will come up free. I have lots of free resources because, you know, I want I want to help. Mm-hmm. Um, if you can get into your body first, go for a walk or do a little bit of exercise or even just sit down and breathe. And then you can use these jumping off points. Like one of my favorites is where you meditate on the sensation of your heart center. For just a few minutes, you just rest your attention on what your heart feels like. And then you start with the journaling prompt, this is my heart and this is my story. And you tell your story from your heart. Oh, I like this. That's I good. love that. That's good. And it you kind know, of also the, gets it out of you and puts it on paper. It does. And when you can get it out and put it on paper, you also might find you sleep better. Mm-hmm. because those thoughts have been externalized. Oh, interesting. And I think for some people, going back and reading their journal is really helpful. I had one gentleman that I interviewed for the book, and, and we met four years after the eight-week group, so longevity. And we met, and he brought his journal from that time period to our meeting and read me pieces out of his journal that he'd reread and highlighted that helped him see how he had changed during that time, what he was going through, how he really had honored and loved his wife. Um, It was quite beautiful. And then there are other people who say, you know, I I write my journal and I never look at it again. I would never take that out. Both are totally valid. It doesn't matter what you do with it. It's the the process of writing. And there's some purging with writing. And the other thing I like about the first story is that Sometimes when we're grieving, we don't realize that we're not in the same place we were initially. We think that we are, but when we take out a journal and read it, we say, oh, wait a minute. I am in a little bit of a different place. I'm, it's right. not as dark and as painful as it was early on. It's sometimes Even hard to reflect eight that. weeks. Yes. Even in like a short period of time, mm-hmm. you know, everything is impermanent. Even the bad stuff. And, you know, so, like, if you're feeling tight and, and stiff and angry in your body, one week you might find three weeks later that your journaling is 
about how great you felt on that walk you took. Mm -hmm. And I think reflecting on your journal shows you how things ebb and flow. I I love this. I love all the stuff that you're saying, Heather. And so where can people get your books? And give us your website one more time as well. So the website is mindfulnessandgrief.com, and there are links on there to the book. You can get the book on Amazon.com, on BarnesandNoble.com, and many local bookstores. I'm a big fan of local bookstores. Either stock the book or can get the book. Fabulous. And if you're at ADAC this year or if you're at TAPS this year, Heather will be there. She will be presenting. And I'm excited to see her. And thank you so much for all you're doing, Heather. Thank you for letting me share this work. I hope it benefits everybody who's listening. I am absolutely certain that it will. And I want to say one more thing, which is off your website. Mindfulness can help to reduce your suffering and be your guiding light. And please, Mm. for those of you out there that have lost hope, please let Heather and me be your guiding light. And if you've lost hope, please lean on ours. Thank you. You've been listening to Open to Hope Radio, hosted by Drs. Gloria and Heidi Horsley. Like today's edition, all of our past programs are available on demand at opentohope.com, along with helpful articles, videos, resources, and links to help get you through the toughest time of your life. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter and sign up for our monthly newsletter. Again, that's opentohope.com. Check it out today. Then be sure to stop by next Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time when we'll be posting another edition of Open to Hope Radio. Remember, others have been where you are. They made it through, and you can too, as long as you're open to hope.